January is a long month, isn't it? Do you know this little poem? Thirty days hath September, April, June, and November. All the rest have 31, except January, which has 973. Good job. See, you thought you knew it. I got thinking about that, people being down this time of year, and I thought of titles of two of Sheila Walsh's many books. One is her latest book entitled, It's Okay Not to Be Okay. And then the other book uh, that I think of oftentimes is God Loves Broken People. Are you glad? Are you glad that God loves broken people? Just look at somebody and say, boy, if it weren't for broke, that that guy. Are you glad that God loves broken people? Yeah, I am too. I am very glad. Yeah. Um, as, a, as a kid, I know some of you maybe missed that part of your life, but if you had a childhood, do you ever remember having friends over, especially if you were on a school break, like a Christmas holiday break or something like that? Do you ever remember having kids over to your house and just kind of wrecking the place? How many of you remember having kids then? Okay. Or maybe you went somewhere to somebody's house, okay? But if kids came to your house, they would uh, want to play with a particular toy or this, that, or something else. At my house, they wanted to play with, the, uh, with my electric train because <clears throat> it was under the bed and it was really cool to watch the dust and stuff when the train was going around. <laughs> we'd, make, we'd make whirlwinds. And, was, and, and, the, and uh, when the kids weren't there, I hardly ever used it. But... Um, you know, when they came, I have friends, I can still picture a couple of my friends under that bed, and they would stay there all day long just making that train go. Um, and every time they wanted to do something that reminded me that I had something that they liked, even though it seemed old to me, it always seemed new to them, and it was always exciting to them, and it was always something they looked forward to with enthusiasm. Um, and as my kids grew up, I'm sure they had similar uh, experiences and your grandkids and et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe somebody visited you after you became an adult and got settled in your home and some friends came to visit and they weren't that familiar with this part of the country or this part of the world. And boy, they fell in love with your region, with wherever you live, on an island or here in the uh, uh, Mount Desert area, uh, uh, Bar Harbor, Ellsworth, of course, or uh, down east, wherever. Uh, they just fell in love with it. They couldn't get over it. And you notice that afterwards that it brought out in your mind and in your life how great it really was to live where you live. And when they saw the scenery that you drive by 10 times a day, it reminded you of maybe the first time you saw it and how beautiful it was. And by the way, it's still as beautiful as the first time you saw it. Amen. I can tell you that. Um, and, and especially I like it in the spring and early summer when the smells of, of the marsh and the, uh, the lobster and the clams and everything starts cooking and it's out there in the air and those wood fires. And oh man, we were here uh, almost 30 years ago, trying to decide if this is where we wanted to m- settle down. And uh, we were visiting from Texas for about five days. and We've been all over the place, couldn't find a place that we wanted to live and didn't know if we wanted to start in this church. That's, that's a long story. 
So someone said, you need to take a drive to Bar Harbor, which we did. Um, our minds were really working hard, so it was hard to take in all the scenery. Well, what got me is after we crossed the bridge at Trenton, at Trenton and heading back to Ellsworth, I smelled it. <laughs> Barbara says, what are you doing? I said, I'm turning around. She said, why? I said, I just smelled it. She said, smelled what? I said, I smelled the marsh. I smelled the, uh, the, uh, the wood burning, the, 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 the pots outside cooking. I smelled the clams. I, smelled, I said, I'm hungry. <laughs> it will be 30 years in just a few months. <clears throat> it worked. It worked. See, because sometimes you don't realize what you have until somebody else comes in and realizes what you have. Visitors have a way of getting us to appreciate the things we have, don't they? And so I want to share a story with you today from Scripture. And in this text, someone that you may have heard of, maybe you thought she was just a legendary or a mythical person, but she's legendary, all right. A woman by the name of the Queen of Sheba. And she travels hundreds of kilometers to visit the king of Israel, to visit King Solomon. Her amazement at Solomon's wisdom and his riches should not only have helped Solomon's subjects see what they were blessed with, but her visit reveals, and I'm going to show this to you, and I don't know that many people have ever really picked up on this other than just kind of the, the beauty and the royalty of that story. But I want you to pick up on this, that her visit reveals just how blessed we are. We meaning you and I. If you have your Bible with you, your app, wherever you are in the uh, scriptural world, if you turn with me now to 1 Kings chapter 10, I'm going to read. I'm going to have it on the screen for you. You can read along with me. That'd be wonderful. Don't feel you have to. But uh, and I also want to say that if you lose your place, there's a parallel passage, and it's almost word for word for word, and that's in Second Chronicles chapter 9. So if you're a note-taker at all, you don't have to go there, but just notate or bookmark and say First Kings 10 and Second Chronicles 9 are one and the same. So in First Kings 10, <clears throat> verse 1, we read, the Queen of Sheba heard about Solomon and his connection with the name of God. She came to put his reputation to the task by asking tough questions. She made a grand and showy entrance into Jerusalem, camels loaded with spices, a huge amount of gold and precious gems. She came to Solomon and talked about all the things that she cared about. Isn't that interesting? Emptying her heart to him. Solomon answered everything she put to him. Nothing stumped him. When the queen of Sheba experienced for herself Solomon's wisdom and saw with her own eyes the palace he had built, the meals that were served, the impressive array of court officials and sharply dressed waiters, the lavish crystal and the elaborate worship extravagant with whole burnt offerings at the steps leading up to the temple of God, it actually took her breath away. In other words, she saw all that with her own eyes, and she was? It took her breath away. She was? Breathless. breathless. We got some sharp people here. Mm. 
If you, something takes your breath away, guess what you are? Hmm. She said to the king, it's all true. Your reputation for accomplishment and wisdom that reached all the way to my country is confirmed. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen it for myself. I like that statement. They did not exaggerate such wisdom and elegance far more than I could have ever imagined. Lucky the men and women who work for you. Getting to be around you every day and hear your wise words firsthand. And blessed be God, your God, who took such a liking to you and made you king. Clearly God's love for Israel is behind this. Making you king to keep a just order and nurture a God-pleasing people. She then gave the king four and a half tons of gold. I wanted to take time to figure that out in today's economy, but it would be so mind-blowing, none of us could handle that anyway. Wow. And also, sack after sack of spices and expensive gems. There hasn't been a cargo of spices like that since that shipload the Queen of Sheba brought to King Solomon. The ships of Hiram also imported gold from Ophir along with tremendous loads of fragrant sandalwood and expensive gems. The king used the sandalwood for fine cabinetry in the temple of God and the palace complex and for making har you musicians uh, would like this and for making harps and dulcimers for the musicians. Nothing like that shipment of sandalwood has been seen since. King Solomon, for his part, gave the Queen of Sheba all her heart's desire, everything she asked for, on top of what he had already so generously given her. Satisfied, she returned home with her train of servants. Hmm. This story at the, at the first reading just recently, first reading again, made me think of those people who showed up after, sometime after the birth of Christ. We call them the wise men from afar, from the Orient. We don't really know who they were. We don't really know where they came from. We don't really know how long they traveled. We only know they got there mighty late. And, and we don't know much about them. And, you know, we turn to 1 Kings chapter 10, or we slip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 9, and we start reading about this unbelievable person, the Queen of Sheba. And the fact of the matter is, we don't know much about the Queen of Sheba. We don't really know what Sheba is. I'm going to say a little bit more about that perhaps later. Some suggest it was another name for Egypt, but I think clearly that, that, that's out of the question because uh, other people say Sheba was farther away on the Arabian Peninsula and what is today uh, the country that they're fighting over in, in, uh, in the Middle East. What's that country? Yeah, it starts with Y, Yemen. Some people think that's where it was. You can look that up on your map. But what brought the queen to Jerusalem were the reports about Solomon. She heard that he was rich. She heard that he was wise. That's not all she heard. The text says when the queen heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with some hard questions. She wasn't going there to just throw softballs. She was going to give, bring some tough questions. So somehow the queen knew Solomon's success was due 
This is important to his connection to the God of Israel, and so she came to see for herself the blessings that Solomon was enjoying. And then I got thinking about it, I made a note to myself in my notes, and I said, I wonder will anyone ever come to see the blessings that we as a church enjoy? I wonder if anyone will ever come to see the blessings that you as a Christian enjoy in your life. The queen arrived with great pomp, much wealth, all of this grand, grandeur. The camels were laden with gold and spices for Solomon. She met with the king. She plied him with difficult questions according to the original text. Actually, according to the original language, those questions were riddles. She was trying to learn through riddles. And that's why Solomon was so and he was such a master of riddles, if you read some of the writings of Solomon. Of course, Solomon had no problem answering any of those questions or riddles. And with everyone, he impressed the queen more and more and more until finally she said, the report I heard of my own country about your achievements and your uh, wisdom is absolutely true. It's all true. But I didn't believe that these things could be so until I came and I saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. The half has not been told. Now, what a privilege it must have been to be one of Solomon's servants in those days. I mean, to get to listen to this man, this, this wisest man in the world, every day, day in and day out. But just as roadies today must get tired of hearing a great artist perform day after day in concert, same song, same song, same song, same song, same song, same song, every day. I'm sure Solomon's servants got used to his wisdom. And they didn't think very much of it after a while. And it kind of got to be old hat. If so, the queen's enthusiasm should have revealed once again just how blessed they were. The queen's enthusiasm for Solomon also reveals just how blessed we are. Man, I, I, I just feel we take our blessings so for granted. Which prompts me to have you go to another verse of Scripture, or another portion of the, of the of Scripture, and, and we're going to work this one for a while. And that portion is found in Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 12, I want you to, to, to zero in on verse 42. This is Jesus' teaching. And here's what he once said. In Matthew 12, 42, he said, The queen of the south, which would be the queen of Sheba, will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something, actually someone greater than Solomon, is here. You see, we may not get to listen to Solomon's wisdom every day, but we're privileged to hear Jesus' wisdom whenever we want to read our Bibles. And Jesus offers greater wisdom because although he, the words might not make you rich, famous, or, or important and smart like Solomon, they'll make you wise for eternal salvation. This is the crux of the matter. Because in Jesus, you have the key to the mansions of heaven. I'm just waiting for this thunderous applause to die down a little so you'll be able to hear me again. 
In Jesus, you have the key to the mansions of heaven. But I wonder, if the Queen of Sheba were to walk in here today, would she see people who value the wisdom that Jesus gives? Would she witness people who are eager to hear God's word, or would she instead be left with the impression that we think coming to church, for example, is just drudgery? That's why I say we ought to look alive, more so when we're here than anywhere else. Fellow worshipers, what you learn and are reminded of here, even today, about your own place in life, about your sin, about your Savior, is more beneficial than winning the lottery. Hey, a million bucks might be nice. It might give you a few kicks for a few years or so. But what happens when it's gone? Through faith in Jesus, you have been promised a wonderful life in heaven that will never end. Cherish this wisdom that is yours and the blessing that can't be taken away from you. Because the truth of the matter is, we are laced with grace. When we truly appreciate the wisdom we have in Christ, it will show in worship habits. Not surprisingly, the Queen of Sheba was impressed by Solomon's worship practices. And visitors uh, similarly impressed with our worship here, uh, we hope, are impressed enough to say, I believe that's a place where God actually Works and where people are actually in tune with the Spirit of God, and the Lord is actually honored and glorified and lifted up in that place. Now, I know we don't have the fantastic temple Solomon had, but that doesn't mean we can't strive for excellence in everything we do connected with worship and every area of service that we have at Faith Community. For example, when we clean the church, we shouldn't just do enough to get by. Why? Because this is an assembly place where God's people come to worship corporately. Nor should we be content to groggily croak out the songs or fidget through the sermon as if these things, well, they're, gonna, they're, gonna, we, they're just things we need to endure before we can get back on with real life again. What goes on here makes your life richer if you're engaged if you're part of it. For Jesus once said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly or to the full. Through Jesus, we've been given wisdom to see that this world is dying and decaying all around us. You never noticed? We're living in a dying world. We're living not only in a dying world, in a decaying world, we're living in a very decadent society right here. We think this is it. I'm getting tired of people saying, and now you know we need to be reminded that we live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. It was one time the greatest country on the face of the earth. But the longer we say that, and the longer the devil's crowd keeps taking away the values upon which this country was founded, the less we're able to say we're still living, and we are probably in the, most, in the greatest nation on earth. But how long are we going to keep living that way and talking that way and doing nothing about standing up for those values that made this nation great? How long? 
You know, the way things are being built around in the society today, it's sort of like having a tent with big tears in it and going out on a camping trip and saying, no, there's a nice piece of rocky ground. Let's pitch our nice tent there. That's not a place you want to spend your life, is it? That's not even a place you want to spend a weekend. No, you dream of getting home to a hot shower and a comfortable bed and forgetting that little side trip. And thanks to Jesus, that's what we have to look forward to in heaven. What? Going home. And what goes on here keeps your nose pointed in the right direction so you don't stray off the pass, off the pass and miss out on the glories of the sanctified life. It keeps you grounded. It keeps you understanding where that path of the straight and narrow is and how important it really is. Every one of us here needs that grounding. Every one of us here needs that battery boost. Every one of us here needs that type of corporate encouragement and blessing. Now, the Queen of Sheba was, uh, was really impressed with a lot of Solomon's surroundings, but she was also uh, impressed with his riches and how he used those riches for his people. She specifically commented on the food that the servants ate. No doubt they feasted every time they sat down. And we don't eat quite as well, probably, <laughs> as they did. But there's another kind of sustenance. I call it the spiritual meal that we regularly receive here, and I call it a blessing. For in communion, we feast on the sacrifice, the reminder of the sacrifice of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. He said, this do in remembrance. Keep remembering, keep reminding, keep doing, so that you are always reminded of the forgiveness of God. And it speaks volumes of God's love for you that Jesus would give you his own body and his own blood so that you would have no doubt of your status before Almighty God. What is your status? Forgiven. What is your status in Christ? Forgiven. There's one more thing that the Queen of Sheba really reveals and not about Solomon and herself so much, but about us. She said to King Solomon, Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. In case Solomon had forgotten, this was really a good picker-up. The queen reminded him that his wisdom wasn't his own. It was a gift from a loving God. And for what purpose was Solomon to use that gift? He was to use it to maintain justice and righteousness in that nation. In other words, Solomon's wisdom was not meant to make his life easy. He was to use his gifts for the benefit of the people whom he, re whom he ruled and to shower them with grace. God may not have made you a king. You may not be in the royal line of succession. It's okay. There are a few more, if, even if you were, moving in ahead of you almost every year. So... You're moving further and further away now. 
those that were number three and four and five are now number six and seven and eight. And so you, you're probably not in the royal line and neither am I. But I will tell you this. God may not have made you a king or a queen, but God has given you a purpose in life and he's given you gifts to carry out that purpose. Your purpose, you say, well, I don't know what it is. It took you long enough to admit it. I now want to tell you what your purpose is. And this is universal here amongst the believers. Your purpose is to serve others with the talents God has given you. And so many of you are doing that here in faith community. It is a blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Hallelujah. All kinds of different people doing all kinds of different things. We have people here that play instruments. We have people here that lead uh, in, in worship, various phases, various ways. I don't even know how many. If somebody knows the number, you can shout it out. But I don't know how many totally there, there are, but I know many. Some are very into caretaking for our little zero to two babies over in, in, uh, in Treasure Bay. If you haven't been in there lately, uh, I, I, I urge you to stop by when things are humming. I don't know what we do without those people. Some people have invested their lives as their mission to minister to our young children. I'm going to say what a blessing that is. Eh? What a blessing that is. Every time, almost every time, we see the baptismal waters once again being, being, being used. We see children. And I can tell you, I thank God for the homes that they represent. But I can also tell you, I thank God for the teaching they're getting while they're here because of the love and the dedication and the service mentality of the people that are working with them. And those of you that are working with our youth, our youth, starting at preteen and into the teen years and right to the end of the high school years. And those that are, some of you are on a parking team. <laughs> parking team gets, uh, gets you in here in some kind of an orderly fashion. I don't really know how it's all set up, but I know it works. I know it works. And I don't think they kind of get the attention and the thanks that they ought to. You shouldn't leave your car without thanking somebody out there. Some of you work on the host team and you work at the coffee thing and tea. And What else do you serve out there? Just soft drinks, right? Nothing, nothing hard. Okay. I don't, I don't know what, you're, what you serve out there, but it, it's, it's great. I usually just ask for my usual. And I've actually got two, maybe three people on, of all the people on the hosting that know what my usual is. And I want to thank you that you know as soon as I step up. Um, here's what I'm trying to say. Whether you fix the lights, and we appreciate that, or put on the doors, or put in some new piece of equipment, or you help us count the money and keep the financial receipts balanced. Whatever you're doing, it's notice. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it because it's working. 
And for a church this size and a congregation such as we have here, you're doing a phenomenal job, just a phenomenal job. And as I witness your skills, I also witness your skills, many of you, in, in inviting others to come and join us and to be part of us and, and encouraging one another to meet life's challenges because there are a lot of challenges in life, aren't there? There are a lot of challenges in life, aren't there? Sometimes you go to a place and a guy's speaking and the, the heat is on so much it's hard to keep, stay awake. That's a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, there are a lot of challenges in life, aren't there? Mm, yeah, yeah. Yes, we're so glad that you're using your gifts as a congregation here. But those get now hear me, hear me now. I built you up so I could let you down. Okay, it's called the sandwich psychology. Something good, something not so good, something really good. You are to be using those gifts I just mentioned anymore that maybe I missed. Sorry. We want you to see, we want to see you using those gifts also out in the world you live in. Not just to obtain a paycheck or to take care of your family, but to show love to your neighbor, show love to your other family members, show love to strangers. What a blessing it is that we have a purpose in life and God has given us that purpose according to the talents and gifts that he's given to us. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Yeah. You see, the reason we have all that is we're, as a church, corporately, and certainly as individual Christians, we are laced with grace. We may not know a whole lot about the Queen of Sheba. We know that she went home a believer. We, she went home totally convinced. Jesus tells us as much when he said that she's going to stand up on the judgment day and she's going to be a witness against all those who reject him. For if she traveled hundreds of kilometers just to see and hear Solomon, what excuse do we have not to make a regular effort to hear God's Son, the Lord Jesus, speak to us through his word, by his spirit, through someone delivering that word? Friends, let's make this another year in which we all faithfully promise to use the blessings that we have been given in Jesus. There's no one of us here that can't keep that promise. So how can we in 2019, how can we express our lives, by our lives, how can we show that we are laced with grace? How do we do it? I just want to give you a simple formula. If you're note-taking, it's worthy. First, we praise and magnify Jesus. If you're not in the habit of praising Jesus and magnifying him in your life, then there's where you can start. Secondly, be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. So often, we do it, and then we check in with God. Oh, by the way, God, I'd like you to bless this now since I've done it. And it was my plan, but I think you understand. So now I want the Holy Spirit to put the blessing on this. Nice ideas, just a little backwards. So be sensitive to the Spirit's what? To the Spirit's what? Okay. Then something else you can do, and this I just lumped all together because they all go together. You can forgive 
If you're not forgiving others, you've already kind of lost the battle. You can love. Huh? You can encourage. And you can lift others. I find this is a hard thing for many people because they're so wrapped up in themselves. There's, and, and I understand the way the world is today and the way some people have been discouraged and, and, and kept down, and et cetera, et cetera. Let me just say this on this whole thing of encouraging and lifting others and forgiving. I want to just throw in something here that's important, and it might help you get to where you need to be. It is impossible, impossible to hold grudges against other people while professing to worship God. It's impossible. And if you don't have that in your notes, I would strongly recommend it get there. You cannot hold a grudge against someone else and then tell me that you're worshiping God. You can tell me, but that's not going to be acceptable. And then one other thing you can do to express by your life that you're laced with grace is to keep learning more of the immensity of God's grace. That is, how large it is. What a scope does that take in? Wow, it's unbelievable. And you keep learning more and more and more. So that's how. In this year, you can show by your life that you're laced with grace. Now, Matthew 12, 42, I haven't left it and I haven't forgotten it and I want to come back to it for a few minutes. I just want to look at this historical uh, piece of information that Jesus even refers to. Matthew 12, he, he refers to it and he authenticates the story that there was a Queen of Sheba and she actually did go see Solomon. And there was this interaction and yes, King Solomon reigned in Jerusalem, and he wasn't just wealthy and powerful, but he was also very wise. Between Jerusalem and Ethiopia, which is the area of probably where she came from, and by the way, as a sideline, this is probably what opened that country to later on be open to the gospel. It was the first uh, country in that area or first part of that region that was open to the gospel later on when it started moving. Uh, but it was open. It was, uh, it was, there were open trade routes, and they could, they could reach Jerusalem by sea and by camel caravan, caravans over land and so on. And they brought precious stones and spices and gold and all of these fragrances and all these uh, precious metals uh, back and forth. But the one who declared himself to be greater than Solomon, even Jesus Christ our Lord, is the one who prepares you and prepares me, not only for time, but for all of eternity. So let's, let's unpack it a little bit and see what she heard. Verse 1, very quickly, a thumbnail sketch. sketch. She heard of the fame, wisdom, and riches of Solomon. Have you heard of the love of God in Christ? Are you familiar with that? And of the fame of our King, the Lord Jesus? What a if you have, what a responsibility rests upon you. What did she do? What she did is important. Verse 2. Well, she heard this thing, and then she came. She said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And she came with a great caravan, as we said earlier, camels, spices, gold, precious stones, and whatever. Why? Because she wanted to be in touch with this king. The sad thing is, 
There are so many today who've heard of him, but they've not come to him. And his invitation is open and clear, and his guarantee is certain and sure, but they don't come to him. They've heard what a wonderful Savior Jesus is and what a great King he is. And if, that's, if you're one of those people and you know your need of him, and yet you've not come to him, I'm going to ask you, why? The queen opened her heart to the king, and she brought all her problems to him for solution. And I would ask you, to whom can we turn in our time of need? I can tell you who. One greater than Solomon. And that's why we need to be what I call, and I hope we can somewhere work this in and adopt it as a, as a sub-theme here moving forward as we're looking at the church and what it needs to be. Todd's opened up a great uh, series here. I'm hoping that we can somewhere incorporate this idea of creating a culture of encounter. And then what did she, what, what, what did she find? Well, she found that there was nothing she could ask Solomon concerning her, her questions that he wasn't able and ready to give an entirely satisfactory answer. And that's absolutely true of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't stump him. You can't come to him with a question or a, a need or a problem and not find resolution and not find help and not find forgiveness. Of course not. He's the one who can give an authoritative answer to all our questions. Questions like, how can I have my sins forgiven? Well, you can name a hundred ways, but they don't work. It's only by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Is there any other who can save us? There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Can I be sure he'll receive me if I come to him? And all who come to him, I will in no wise cast out. Can I be cleansed then from all of my sin? All of your sin. Past sin, present sin, future sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful assurance that. Well, surely I must have to do something to be saved. I must have to work or do something. You can work your whole life trying to get into heaven, and it won't add one, one inch <laughs> in your stature. It won't get you any closer. You get to the end, and you're still only at the top rung. You're not in the door. There's no work needed. It's grace. It's mercy. It's God's salvation. It's his gift. It's receiving it, nothing else. And shall I ask him now, Romans 10, 13, if today is the day that you hear and believe, what does hinder you? Come, come. That's his invitation. So what did she see? What did she, uh, what did she see? Verse 4 and 5 says she saw his wisdom. She saw his house. She saw his, his table laden with good things. She saw his servants. She saw these elaborate burnt offerings that were being made. She saw it all. And the end of that verse 5 is interesting. It says, she was overcome. She was humbled. She was rendered speechless, breathless. She just couldn't 
take it in and said, oh my, the half has not been told. You know, when you come to see the Lord for who he is and accept his wonderful salvation, that's a humbling experience. It ought to get your attention and it ought to humble you. And what did she say in, re, in, re, in, in response to all of this? She said, the report I heard is true. I didn't actually believe until I came and saw with my own eyes. And not even half was told. What did she give to this whole thing? Gold, fragrant spices, precious stones, and in abundance. Most of us can never give the Lord those kind of gifts. However, we can give something that is of more value than the whole world. Yeah. Yeah. And we can give this to him. Have you given Jesus your soul, your life? Then, oh, him, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. My soul, my life, my all. What did she receive from all this? Everything that she desired, everything she asked for, great things from his royal bounty. She came, she came away wonderfully satisfied, and she stayed satisfied, and she was satisfied to the end of life. Are you satisfied in the grace of God? If you are, thank him today that you're laced with grace. Jesus uses her, her example to expose the utter folly of those who are unimpressed with the person and, and the work of God incarnate. She responded with appropriate interest to the fame and reputation of King Solomon. Reports of his wisdom and accomplishments had reached the Arabian Peninsula where her kingdom was located and what she heard made her eager to know more. I love that. What she learned made her eager to know more. Well, I know this and it's mighty exciting, but you know what? I want to know more. I, I don't, I, probably it isn't even possible, but if it were, I'd love to meet this man and really see this kingdom and, and check this thing out. It wasn't a matter of convenience. It was a matter of sincere interest and desire on her part. She was kind of like the Christians in Berea that we read about in Acts chapter 17 when they heard the gospel, when Paul and Silas were preaching to them. The Bible says they examined the scripture daily to see if those things were so. Acts 17, 11. The Queen of the South is not only an example worth following, but she's an indictment on any who have spiritual privileges and opportunities, but don't use them. In her, we see a great response to very little opportunity. Let me say that again, because it may have lulled you. In the Queen, we see a great response to very little opportunity. Versus very little response to great opportunities by people today. People today have every opportunity in the world to be saved. 
to come to know Jesus and to be standing in right standing before God their creator. Solomon was great as a ruler. But I want to ask this question. Shouldn't we be more amazed by Jesus than anyone could ever be by a mere mortal king? Hmm. Hmm. Solomon was great as a ruler. He was great as a master builder. Just sometime you have an hour or two. Read up on his kingdom and what was built into that kingdom and the, the things that were done architecturally, etc., during Solomon's reign are just unbelievable. He was great as a trader and a man of, of commerce because his wealth was known worldwide at that time. And he was exceedingly great as a sage. He had all this wisdom. And people came to him for answers to their questions. And that's lovely. And we still revere the fact that Solomon was such a tremendously used person. But, but as a ruler, a greater than Solomon is here. As a master builder, a greater than Solomon is here. As a trader, trader, a greater than Solomon is here. And as a sage, a greater than Solomon is here. Our Lord Jesus Christ is greater. And this is our message. This is our life. Church, this is what faith community's life is. This is what we must live. This is what we must share beyond these walls. This is what we must take to a lost and dying world. Let's create and let's grow that culture of encounter. I know people are out there and they're thinking, well... I have wisdom, I have knowledge, I have riches, I have power. And let me just remind them, none of these can save us apart from the grace of Almighty God. Let's show the love, let's show the kindness, let's show the mercy, let's show the peace of God. And let's live as the body of Christ, individually and corporately. How? Let's live laced with grace. I'm going to ask that um, our worship leaders come and join me, and I'm going to ask that we bow in prayer as we bring this to a close. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, we're so aware today that without you, we can do nothing, and we really don't amount to much. But with you, all things are possible. And we realize that just as the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon and received so much, we're invited to come to the Lord Jesus and receive so much more. Not just pleasures, not just power, not just riches, not just wisdom, but the key that opens the door to the mansions of heaven, even through the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who are here today and know that truth and have witnessed that truth and are part of that truth, 
God, we thank you for each one of them. We pray that this would be the year of growth and, and outreach and living this life and, and developing this culture of encounter. And, and, and Lord, we pray for those who've heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it and still have never, ever really brought it into their hearts or maybe never really expressed what they feel or what they believe. Lord, today we pray that before they even pillow their head tonight, they will come to a place of making that decision, that eternal decision, not for power, not for wisdom, not for, 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 for greatness, but for the salvation of their souls to the glory of God through Christ. For we praise you and pray in his name. And everyone said,